Well, good morning. It is great to see you. Glad you're with us. Uh, happy Mother's Day again to you if you're here and a mom. And uh, My name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors uh, here at Christ Central, and I hope you feel welcomed. I hope you can get connected more deeply into the life of our church if you desire to do so. If I've never met you, I'd love to meet you after the service, so please come by, say hello. I'd love to introduce myself to you. Uh, we are in the second week of an eight-week series uh, in the Beatitudes. Uh, the Beatitudes, if you didn't know, are the prologue to Jesus' most famous and important sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And last week, if you were here, I asked you if you were up to the challenge uh, to commit these eight Beatitudes to memory. Don't, we don't often do that here, but we decided this time to do so. So let me challenge you again to memorize these eight statements. Uh, these beatitudes are far from platitudes. They're not sentimental wisdom. They're eight statements that are deeply counterintuitive, and they're quite shocking if, if you're listening to them. They, along with the rest of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, are Jesus' vision of the good life. And we'll see that each statement, Jesus often inverts our natural values. In fact, the first three beatitudes are paradoxes. Seemingly contradictory statements. G.K. Chesterton once defined a paradox as truth standing on its head calling for attention. This morning I want us to look at the second beatitude. It's a paradox. Truth standing on its head and God, God is calling us to pay attention. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as I read our passage. Matthew chapter 5. The Beatitudes are verses 1 through 12. This morning I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. This is God's word to us. Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Isaiah tells us that the grass withers and the flowers fade but God's word endures forever. Let's pray. Well, God, I ask that you would come now and give us eyes to see and a heart to believe this vision of what you declare to be the good life, life in the kingdom with you, Jesus. I pray that you would help our unbelief and that you would illumine our minds, you would change our hearts, and our lives would be different because you've spoken to us this morning. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can have a seat. Well, happy Mother's Day. Blessed are those who mourn. A good Mother's Day sermon. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed, if you were here last week, you saw that blessed means deeply happy or approved of by God. Approved of by God are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. As John Stott translated it, happy are those who are not happy. They will be made happy. Happy are those who are not happy, for they will be made happy. That sounds utterly ridiculous to our natural hearts and minds. When I was in seminary, one of my professors put me on an Irish poet David White. My professor knew that I didn't need more intellectual knowledge, but I needed emotional engagement. 
So he thought David White's poetry could help with that, and it, and it did. White wrote a book called The Heart Aroused, and in it, this is what he writes, quote, you cannot live a sincere human life without heartbreak. In fact, the soul's ability to experience heaven or joy is commensurate with our ability to feel grief. An authentic human life is a mingling of joy and sorrow. Let me put that another way. Our heart's ability to be sad, to mourn, to grieve, to weep is proportional to the value we place on something or someone and therefore is proportional to the joy we experience through that someone or something. Let me say that again. Our heart's ability to be sad, to mourn, to grieve, to weep is proportional to the value we place on something or someone and therefore is proportional to the joy we experience through that someone or something. This is what the blues music has done so wonderfully for us. It teaches humanity to sing our sorrow. To sing the blues is to give honor to the thing you value through your sadness. In the midst of singing sorrow, we experience joy. An authentic human life is the mingling of sorrow and joy. Let me try to put it even more practically. Our ability to feel deep sadness is proportional to our ability to feel immense joy. Try to follow me here. If you were to put, if we were to put our emotional human life on a scale of one through ten, one being our ability to feel deep, low, great sadness, and ten is our ability to feel immense, immeasurable joy, how would you rate or classify your emotional life? Are you able to feel the sadness of a level one and the joy of a level 10? Or do you tend to live life a little bit more controlled? Some sadness and some joy. Tending to live life maybe as low as a four, but as high as you're gonna get is about a six. See, I believe most of us have learned to live life somewhere in the four to six range particularly because we don't know what to do with our sadness or we've learned how to function and survive without showing our sadness. Rachel and I recently watched the movie A Star is Born. I'm not going to spoil it if you haven't seen it, but in this current remake, Bradley Cooper plays Jackson Maine, famous rock musician. Jackson and his brother both had a very dysfunctional relationship with their father. Their father was very abusive and Jackson grew up learning to put away his tears, to put away his sadness. And in the movie, you see him as a famous musician, addicted to alcohol, lonely, depressed, full of shame. And then he comes across Allie, played by Lady Gaga. And in this first night together, they write a song. Perhaps you've heard it on the radio, if not in the movie. And she sings, tell me something, boy. Aren't you tired trying to fill that void? Or do you need more? Ain't it hard keeping it so hardcore? I'm off the deep end. Watch as I dive in. I'll never meet the ground. Crash through the surface where they can't hurt us. We're far from the shallow now. See, most of us are taught to live in the shallow. 
to keep it hardcore. It's how we survive in this world. But Jesus wants us to live with full hearts, hearts aroused, living with him in his kingdom. We grow up hearing, don't be a baby. Stop your crying. You're too sensitive. Only cry in certain places. Don't don't show weaknesses to certain people. They won't know what to do with your emotions. See, not knowing what to do with our tears leads us into a life of amusement, looking for the next thrill to distract us from our sadness. Or it can lead us into addiction, numbing and denying the pain, suppressing or depressing our emotion. Or it can lead us into a life of working harder, pushing through, manning, womaning up, pushing through the pain of life. We've learned this in the church as well. How many times have you heard the faith of someone applauded because they don't cry in the midst of their pain and loss? Someone maybe who loses a loved one to death, someone whose spouse has been unfaithful, someone who's been diagnosed with cancer, and others see lack of tears, and they say, oh, look how strong their faith. Lack of tears is not always strong faith. More often than not, it's the fear of facing sadness, which causes no tears. Here's a truth that New York Times columnist and author David Brooks shares in a recent interview about his new book, Second Mountain. Brooks said this, quote, I have learned you can be broken or you can be broken open. Pain that is not transformed is pain transmitted. See, Brooks is saying if you allow your pain and your sadness to just be water under the bridge, right, just let it go, that water goes somewhere. You follow that water and you will find it building and rising against a dam. And that dam will break someday. And all the stored up pain and sadness will spill out either onto yourself, onto others, or onto God. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Approved of by God, deeply happy are those that are sad, who grieve, who weep. Before we look at what this means, let me tell you what it's not. This is not moping around depressive Christianity. This is not somber, humdrum, Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh Christianity. So the wisdom writings of the Proverbs says laughter is good medicine for the soul. Laughter, enjoyment of life, that's a good thing. Blessed are those who mourn is not mopey, grim, buttoned up, cheerless Christianity. It's also not self-pity. I think one reason that we learn not to be sad is that our society teaches us not to have self-pity. And that's a good teaching. But self-pity is not sadness. Self-pity is avoiding sadness. Self-pity says, nothing goes right for me. I'm the one who always sacrifices. Woe is me. And we can use self-pity as a way of defending against sadness. Chip Dodd says self-pity is a way to escape the pain of sadness by trying to make others feel sadness for us. See, self-pity says to others, you know, no matter how much I try, nothing goes well for me. You know I try. You've seen me. I'm trying. I'm working hard. And it's an attempt to express the truth of the heart that I'm sad, but it's an unwillingness to let oneself feel sad, so we make others feel what we refuse to feel. Blessed are those who mourn, 
they will be comforted. I hope you see by now that this comfort definitely does not mean a happy, clappy, kind of cheesy Christianity that denies sadness. It's not an artificial facade. It's not a plastic smile Christianity. There are times to smile and there are times to weep. weep. And a Christianity that makes you feel like you must always smile is a cheap and shallow Christianity. Jesus says those who inherit the kingdom of God cry like a baby. Jesus says those who live in the kingdom of God are always expressing their emotions to their father, having faith like a child, right? It's sharing your heart with God the Father, not in a polite, detached, unemotional way, but in a real, authentic, heart-fully aroused way. So what does it mean to mourn? Simply put, mourning is grief and sorrow caused by profound loss. Mourning is honoring loss. Grief, sorrow, tears gives honor to the thing that's lost. Have you ever said or heard heard someone say, I don't want you to cry at my funeral. No tears, no crying at my funeral. Now that can mean good things like rejoice because I'm going to be with the Lord in, in heaven. But honestly, Do you want people to cry at your funeral? Yes, you do. I do. Tears honor loss. The grief reveals the love and the fact that you really mattered and were valued by people. When one of my best friends, Mitch Drew, died at the young age of 25, there were thousands of people at his funeral. And I'm not sure I've ever cried so hard in my life. I still cry when I think about Mitch. Tears reveal how much I loved Mitch and felt loved by him. I miss our relationship. I, I, I miss the loss, right? Or I'm weeping over the loss. I'm mourning and honoring the loss of the relationship. Now, as Christians, we believe the world is not the way it's supposed to be. That God created the world in the beginning. And the world was a place where humanity walked among the earth in perfect harmony with creation. Humanity walked with one another in perfect love. And humanity walked with God in perfect fellowship and intimacy. Sin entered the world in Genesis 3. And as a result of sin, humanity now has a broken relationship with the world, with others, and ultimately with God. Tears, grief, mourning, honors, loss. There is loss in regards to our relationship with this world. We should grieve when we see tsunamis and tornadoes ravage land and kill people. We should mourn at all the children who are sex trafficked around the world. We should moan at the amount of poverty that exists in our world. We should weep at school and synagogue shootings. There's loss in regards to our relationships with one another. We should grieve at the the loss of relationships with people that we know and love, the death of a parent, the loss of a child, the miscarriage of a child, the broken relationship with a parent. This is why Aaron uh, prayed the difficulty of Mother's Day and how it can be hard for many of us. We should grieve that on this day. There's difficulty that exists with sibling relationships or with a child, the friendship that you've 
fallen out of, the failed engagement that you've been through, these things should make us sad. This is not the way the world is supposed to be. Ultimately, there's a loss in regards to our relationship with God. Sin's great impact was that it caused us to lose fellowship and intimacy with God. The God who created the world so that we can know him and enjoy relationship with him. He gave us all things. And all God ever wanted was a relationship with each and every one of us. And Adam and Eve decided in Genesis 3 that they wanted more than God. And choosing to love something more than God, they lost fellowship with God. And as a result, all of humanity is born separated from God. It's not the way it's supposed to be. So we should mourn that the world is separated from God. But through Jesus, we're restored into fellowship. We regain that which was lost. But if we're really honest, if we're Christians in here, we choose often to love someone or something more than God. And every time we do this, we lose fellowship and intimacy with God. And we should mourn that in doing so, we crucify Jesus over and over and over. We should mourn the fact that we choose our, our autonomy and freedom over Jesus. We choose our pleasure. We choose jobs. We choose our families. And the list goes on. And we lose out on fellowship and intimacy with God every time. And because of our misplaced loves, we miss out on the great love of God offered to us daily. Let me ask you a question. Does your sin, your misplaced love in regards to God, make you sad? Does it make you sad? This beatitude is about grieving over the sin inside of you. It's been said that G.K. Chesterton was asked in an interview with other people, what would you say is wrong with the world? Chesterton said, I am. I am. Grief over sin is confessing that I'm not chiefly a victim, I'm chiefly the problem. Thomas Cranmer, the writer of the Anglican book, The Book of Common Prayer, which we often use here at Christ Central, in it there are corporate confessions of sin, and one of the prayers Cranmer wrote starts this way, we acknowledge and bewail our manifold sins and wickedness. We acknowledge, that's the first beatitude, poverty of spirit, admitting we have nothing spiritually to offer. The second beatitude is we bewail. We mourn, we grieve, we cry out. It's emotional. So are you emotional over the loss of your experience in relationship to God that in you choosing other things besides him, you're breaking intimacy and fellowship that he desires? Do you believe the problem with this world is you? Do I believe the problem with this world is me? Now, I know some of you right now are thinking, here we go, all this sin talk. How about cutting humanity some slack? Most people are pretty good. This is why the Bible, to me, feels culturally regressive and primitive, talks about sin. That's why I don't like it very much. But here's the truth. If you silence heaven's groan over sin, you mute and tame the fierce and loyal love of God that abounds to us. If you take away sin and misplace love, then you silence heaven's groan. And the degree of sadness at your sin is proportional to the height of joy experienced in God's grace and love. 
Here's the truth of Christianity. I've said this many times here, paraphrasing from others. Christ Central, cheer up. You're far more sinful than you've ever imagined. But cheer up. You're much more loved than you've ever dreamed. Sadness over the loss of fellowship and intimacy with God because of sin will lead you to experience the height of God's love and grace. By the way, this mourning and sadness is continuous in this life because sin and loss will be present as long as we're on this side of Jesus' return. So the Bible teaches us to lament and to grieve and to weep and to mourn. Do you know that one-third of the Psalms, the Old Testament book of Psalms, are Psalms of lament? There's a book in the Old Testament called Lamentations. The prophet Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. Jesus himself wept. He wept at the death of his good friend Lazarus. He cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There is a certain weeping that characterizes the Christian. Now hear me, if there are no tears over the loss in our world, over the loss in relationship with others, and ultimately the loss in relationship to God, you will miss out on the God who wipes our tears away. See, those who mourn will be comforted. I don't like to throw around Greek words very often, but the Greek word for comforted here is parakaleo. I don't like to throw it around. I'm going to throw one out. Uh, Parakaleo is what comforted is in Greek. And it means an encounter with something or someone that brings comfort. It's where the Greek word for Holy Spirit comes, paraclete, the person of the Godhead that brings us into an encounter with comfort. Here's what Jesus is saying. Mourning, grief, tears shed because of the losses in our life, because the world is not the way it's supposed to be, opens us up and brings us into a space to encounter comfort from the presence of God. One way this happens is that we're opened up and brought into a space to encounter God's comfort from Holy Spirit by the presence of other people. Relationships to others, vulnerability around sadness and loss breeds intimacy. And the Lord gives us one another as an expression of his presence, as an expression of his love and grace and mercy. Ultimately, sadness opens us up and it brings us into a space to encounter God's presence and Holy Spirit through the means of grace He's appointed. The Word of God, prayer, the sacraments, solitude, silence. See, sadness allows us to immerse ourselves in God. And if you are avoiding the sadness and the grief of life by living a life of amusement because of money and luxuries and the pursuits of this world, if, if you're avoiding sadness because you're working hard in life to stay distracted if you're avoiding sadness because you're numbing yourself through technology or alcohol or drugs or sex, here's a promise. You will have a lackluster relationship with God if you have one at all. Sadness and mourning is honoring loss. It's giving value to the thing lost. Rachel and I were talking yesterday about our our youngest son. And my youngest son feels all of his emotions. (laughs) And i got to be honest, it wears me out. I want to rein him in. At times, I want to be like, hey, buddy, four to six. Live right here. I, I like living four to six. I want you to live four to six. But he, he lives 
full open, wide open, one to ten. I realized, man, we grow up thinking being grown up is to suppress. But Jesus tells us to have faith like a child. Honest, raw, real, hearts aroused. Now catch this, the thing that will really change our heart and make us people of mourning is to know and to believe that God weeps at the loss of his relationship with the world, with humanity, and specifically with you. You see, tears reveal what matters. And the world and humanity and you deeply matter to God. He weeps over the loss of relationship with you. Do you believe God values you? Do you believe that you are cherished in God's heart? That God was willing to experience great loss and sadness by giving up his only son. To come in the form of a man, to live a perfect life, and the son was willing to give away his life and to be separated from the father and the spirit in death on a cross. And the father and the son gave us the spirit. So we can grieve and we can mourn about the brokenness of life and then we can be comforted by a personal God. A God who longs to be intimate in a real relationship with you and me. He meets us, he comforts us, and he wipes away our tears by his presence. And one day, Revelation 21 tells us when Christ returns, that our tear-wiping God will wipe away every tear. There will be no more tears, no more sadness, no more mourning. Jesus will put an end to our sorrow, and he will turn it into rejoicing and dancing. See, life in the kingdom, life with Jesus, is intended to be lived with hearts aroused, full hearts, deep sorrow, and the heights of God's love and grace. As we look forward to the fulfillment of the promise that one day, someday, everything sad in this life will be made untrue. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would give us a holy sorrow, a holy discontent with the way the world is, the way relationships are, the way that we even relate to you. God, give us sadness, grief, tears. As we mourn, help us to to taste the bitterness of the way that the world is. And as we taste the bitterness, may we relish and taste the sweetness of Jesus' presence among us. May we be comforted by you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.